Hi, this is Allison Warner. And Carrie Stevens, host of the Plastic Surgery Practice Podcast. Welcome to our new season. Now, before we get started, we wanted to let you know that if you previously subscribed to the MedCore Podcast Network to keep up with the latest episodes, you can now find us and subscribe to our standalone channel, Simply Plastic Surgery Practice, on your favorite podcast platform. Now, that can be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, or Amazon. Now, let's get to the episode. Hi, welcome to the Plastic Surgery Practice Podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Stevens. Today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Constance Chen, a New York-based board-certified plastic surgeon and leader in microsurgical breast reconstruction. She's here to talk about misconceptions in breast reconstruction, which is a topic she wrote about earlier this year for PSB. Here's my conversation with Dr. Chen. Dr. Chen, thank you for joining me today. I'm so delighted to be here. Yeah, we're, we're excited. This situation and this, this topic is very close to my heart personally, because um, as I've talked about in the podcast before, I had breast reconstruction after mastectomy in 2020. And one of the things I was told about when I asked about using a flap reconstruction rather than an implant, implant based reconstruction was, oh, you're too thin. Well, I, I'm a very average sized person. And so you and I had talked about that and just you wrote a really good article about um, how thinner people can do flap reconstruction. So what are some of the challenges that thin individuals face when it comes to breast reconstruction surgery? So I think you hit one of the nails on the head, which is if someone does want flap reconstruction, they're automatically told by many plastic surgeons that they're not a candidate. Um, my own cousin had that experience. She had I may have told you about her. She had uh, breast cancer twice, and this, the first time she had lumpectomy and uh, radiation. The second time, when it was recurrent, uh, she wanted bilateral mastectomies and deflaps, understandably, because she was under 40. Um, she went to her plastic surgeon who told her what you just said. Um, he said she's very average size. She's not you know, super skinny, but she's not super fat either. Um, and he told her that she was too thin for flaps for both breasts, but he could do it for one breast. So a little bit different from what you said in which you, you know, you were told. Yeah. I was just flat out. No. Yeah. And um, so the long and the short of it is that it finally came out that he was just starting out and wasn't really comfortable doing both sides and was only comfortable doing one side. So I ended up doing both sides for her. And again, she was not a thin person, but I've also had other people such as yourself, Many who have seen multiple plastic surgeons, you know, sometimes four or five, six plastic surgeons, sometimes people have flown around the country looking for a plastic surgeon who can do flaps for them, only to be told that they're too thin. I had one woman who is actually a um, pharmaceutical rep for Allergan who makes the breast implants. And she said that she had flown to um, New Orleans and Texas, two well-known plastic uh, microsurgical breast reconstruction specialists who all told her she was too thin. And I thought, well, these are not fly-by-night microsurgeons. If they told her she was too thin, she probably is too thin. But I told her I would examine her anyway just to see. And she, and she was very well-educated about the subject and said, look, I'm willing to have four flaps. I am willing to basically do anything because she had already had mastectomies and reconstruction of implants, and she really did not like her implants at all. 
And when I examined her, um, I said, actually, I think I can do it with just two flaps. And I, you don't need four flaps at all. And I think you'll be very uh, similar to the size you are now. And I was actually really surprised that, you know, colleagues that I assumed I would have nothing more to say than what they had to say would actually turn her down. And I think, um, you know, People have different criteria in terms of what they're looking for, but, and I have had patients where I thought, oh, they may not have enough tissue, say, in their belly, but then I'll go to another site, such as the upper inner thigh, um, where, frankly, even I've had patients with a BMI of 18, 17, who are marathon runners, just very, very thin, and I've been able to reconstruct their breasts with flaps, and they look actually much more natural and normal than if they had had implant reconstruction. It, it can be hard to tell in those people who had nipple-sparing mastectomy and flap reconstruction using their own tissue that they even had mastectomies, even when they're really, really thin. I had one woman whose um, mastectomy flaps were less than 100 cc's. So 89 cc's on one side, or 89 grams on one side, 99 grams on the other side. And the smallest implant size is 100 grams. So, um, you know, her, the, the flaps that I took were actually a little bit over 100 grams, but they really filled out her breast tissue nicely. She actually looked a little bit bigger afterward, even though I think many people would have just taken one look at her and said, no way, you're not a candidate. It's just that, Sometimes when people don't have tissue in their lower abdomen, they'll have tissue elsewhere. For example, my um, second round place is basically the upper inner thigh where everybody has this little banana roll. And it may not mean that you'll have double D breasts, but oftentimes when you're very thin, that would look strange on you anyway. You get proportional breasts. I always tell people that your body tends to give you what is appropriate for you. Um, in terms of just, you know, uh, proportionality. Well, have you noticed because there's been so much talk about breast implant illness that more people are coming to you post mastectomy wanting the natural flap? That definitely, um, that's been happening for a while. I'm in New York City and I seem to have a steady stream of patients from one of the, you know, Sloan Kettering Cancer Center at Memorial Sloan Kettering where they do 80, 90% implants, just because of the volume of patients that they have, they can't do as many flaps. And I've noticed that the nurse practitioners there have sent quite a few patients over to me for breast reconstruction when they've been unhappy with their implants. And, um, you know, I give people all of their options, meaning the option to go flat, to switch out their implants for new implants, if their implants are under the muscle, to go over the muscle or to switch them out for flaps. And, um, you know, it's very, very often people do choose flaps and by and large, it's night and day for people. It, it's just a lot more comfortable for them. I know when I looked into this, I mean, I was told I couldn't do it based on my BMI, which to me is not that low, but I was told that also the recovery process was really hard with flap. Can you get into the recovery process for patients who undergo natural tissue breast reconstruction? Sure. So my patients are usually in the hospital for two or three days. Um, it is a long operation. It's a much bigger and more complex operation than implants because with implants, you're just operating on the chest. Um, and that's the only place you have to worry about healing. 
the flaps, you have multiple surgical sites. So um, if you're taking from the belly, you also have to you have drains at your belly and you have to heal from that site. If you're taking tissue from the upper inner thighs, then you have drains there and you have to heal from that spot too. So you're not only healing from the chest, you're healing from another spot as well. Um, overnight, you're usually um, resting in bed because we want the, uh, the tiny two millimeter blood vessels to flow well and not be jostled. In the morning, um, nurses help you out of bed and you start walking. And, um, and it's really about eating, drinking, and walking for the first you know few days, few weeks even. Uh, it sounds very basic before surgery, but after surgery, you just need to get your strength back. And as I mentioned, people generally go home on day two or three um, versus uh, if you have implants, it's usually, you know, if it's above the muscle, you can even go home the same day sometimes or the next day. And so you are in the hospital for a day or two longer. Um, and it's just a more extensive surgery because there are more uh, surgical sites and you have more drains to take care of and all of that sort of thing. In terms of pain, um, I think that when breast implants are placed under the muscle, that's pretty uncomfortable for people and flaps are placed over the muscles. So I think that is one area where I think the pain is actually significantly, I, from what I've been told by patients, it's, it can be significantly less. And I've definitely noticed um, when I used to place tissue expanders and implants under the muscle, I would forget how much it was, um, how much it hurt people or that you stretch out that muscle. It, it didn't hurt. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, it just, you know, it's not anatomically correct. The breast tissue was, you know, over the muscle. It wasn't under the muscle. And then when there's that stretch all the time, it's just not comfortable. It's like having a rock in your shoe that you can't get out. And so um, I, if I put in, I do do tissue expanders and implants as well. And if I put those in, I always put them over the muscle now. Because it's just, it's anatomically correct. I think it's significantly more comfortable for people. So either way, I mean, if you just put a, whatever you're going to use as the breast replacement over the muscle, I think it's just going to be more comfortable. You might think that because you're taking the tissue from the donor side that that area would be painful too. And I guess um, thinking about it, I do think that many patients feel like their donor sites are more of an issue for them than their breasts, because I think for many patients, the breast isn't the area that hurts. It's, for example, when I take tissue from the belly, I usually tighten it too, like people who have a tummy tuck. And so that can feel very tight for people afterward. If you're very thin, um, it can, I, I would say that if you're going to take it from the belly and you're thin, it's probably going to hurt more than someone who is heavy because you just don't have enough skin laxity. So it's just going to pull more. Um, from the legs, I have a breast surgeon who commented to me some years back that she thought the people who had hat flaps from their upper inner thighs, they thought she thought that their recovery seemed to go much more easily than people who had deep flaps. I think it's similar, but I think if it seems easier, it may just be because a lot of times when people have pat flat, flat breast reconstruction, they are very thin and fit, and those people may just be, you know, healthier at baseline than someone who is having a deep flat. Not always, but I think that may be why she, her perception was the people who had pat flat seemed to recover very, you know, easily and well. Um, 
but you do have drains into the donor site. That's a pain. Um, those tend to stay in longer than the breast drains. The breast drains stay in for, I'd say, a week or two, and the other ones can stay in for two or three weeks. And it's just annoying to have things hanging off of you and have anything that you need to heal from. Um, in general, I would say most people are feeling pretty normal at about a month. But I always tell people that even if you feel fine and you feel good, it takes six to eight weeks for the body to undergo full wound healing. So, you know, I had a patient where I reconstructed, she had mastectomies, uh, nipple spray mastectomies and flaps from her, from her upper inner thigh. She was very thin. She was a marathon runner. And at about a month, she said, I don't care what you say. I'm going to start running. I cannot lie around and do nothing anymore. And she started running long distances. And um, you know, her flaps were fine, but she developed seromas, which are fluid collections at her donor sites, because even though her drains had come out, um, the tissues weren't completely healed. And that the sheer forces of that movement of running, I mean, you just can't run you know, the miles and miles and miles that she was running um, without, she, I mean, she just stirred things up. And so we had to um, chase after the seromas in her legs for months after that. And I, I think she regretted it because she realized that, you know, even though it felt good to run, I every, she had to come in every week for me to stick a needle in there to try and draw out fluid. And then she had to wear compression around that area. I mean, it's not something that's dangerous, but you feel like you have a water balloon in your body and it's incredibly annoying and a nuisance. And so, you know, it does take six to eight weeks for a full wound healing to happen in a normal, healthy person. I describe it like when you go to get your nails done and you think your nails are dry, they look dry, but then, you know, if you really push down on them, they'll smear. It's, it's kind of like that. Um, it just takes a couple of months for things to really, really stick down so that they're going to refuse to not, you know, not be disturbed. So is there anyone, any, you know, demographic body type that is just absolutely not a candidate for natural tissue reconstruction? So I would say people who I would not want to do natural tissue breast reconstruction on would be, for example, smokers, because um, smokers, the nicotine that um, is in cigarette and even you know some other types of uh, things that people smoke takes up the place on the red blood cell where the hemoglobin is supposed to be. So your tissue oxygenation is more poor um, and you don't heal as well. Plus it impairs platelet function. It makes you clot more and it also causes vasoconstriction. So it's sort of a triple whammy when you smoke in terms of flap failure. So if someone wants um, a flap and is a smoker, they have to stop smoking for at least two months beforehand. And we will definitely do nicotine tests beforehand just because there's no reason for you to go through this big surgery and have a flap failure. Um, likewise, someone who has a lot of medical comorbidities, in other words, someone who, I mean, if you have end-stage renal failure and heart problems and just a lot of medical problems where you're not going to be able to tolerate a long surgery, um, that's someone who probably would not be a good candidate either. Uh, pretty much everyone that I do this surgery on, I send them to a cardiologist just to make sure that their heart, you know, that their lungs are good. And I'm sorry, their heart is good. And um, 
but I have operated on someone as old as 70 years old who had a D-flap, and I was very hesitant about that. I sent her to the cardiologist like everybody else. Um, he called and said that he didn't see a need to do an echo because she was so healthy. I was like, are you crazy? And I tried to explain what a big surgery this was, and so he did it. Um, I was, you know, very apprehensive about doing bilateral D-flaps on a 70-year-old woman, but she actually healed better than some people who were 40. I had a woman who was a 40-year-old triathlete who had a rough time afterward. I mean, she had urinary retention and she swelled up and all sorts of things. Um, but the 70-year-old, she wanted to leave the hospital on day two. I showed up in her um, hospital room to round on her. She was in her clothes and wanted to leave. And I was like, you know, can you do me a favor and just stay one more day? I mean, you are 70 years old. And she went home with nobody helping her, which I also thought was crazy. And two weeks after surgery, it was like nothing happened. I mean, it was, it was, it was crazy. And so I, I mean, I was so nervous about operating on her. Um, I had another woman who um, I just operated on, it was either last year or the year before, um, who had inflammatory breast cancer, which is a very bad breast cancer. Um, 10 years earlier, bilateral mastectomies, radiation, the radiation and um, chemo and everything had done such a number on her that her she needed a heart ablation through a, a clinical trial to get her heart working again. So, I mean, basically someone who just did not seem like a great flat candidate to me, but she came to me saying, no, I've been cleared by everybody. And I was like, I know, but do you understand this is a really big surgery? I mean, you had a heart ablation, <laughs> you know, just like, but I'm fine now. So I put her through so many hoops to um, kind of dissuade her and, um, Finally, and she jumped through all of them. So finally I said, look, um, do me a favor. Something that I have anecdotally noticed is people who spin seem to just do better after surgery. And so she started, she got on a Peloton and started spinning. And um, you know what? It, that was crazy too. She did unbelievably well after surgery. Most people, um, their blood pressure drops, their heart rate is high. They, they just, you know, many, many people many women have low blood pressure to start out with. And so when you have these big fluid shifts from a big surgery, it just makes it worse. So for example, for myself, my blood pressure at baseline is 90 over 60. So if it's gonna drop, it's gonna be 70 over 60, it's really low. And so, um, and you can't use vasopressors or other things that anesthesiologists will do to keep your blood pressure up because that'll cut off the blood supply to your flap. So I was, you know, for this woman who had inflammatory breast cancer, I just thought to myself, this is just not going to, I don't know how this is going to turn out. She was perfect. She was better than most people. And so it is, it's just interesting how, you know, sometimes the people that you are the most nervous about do the, you know, sometimes they do the best. Um, I even had a person who was a smoker who I said, no, we can't do this because you're a smoker. She did stop smoking. But then um, she had like a, you know, she smoked at a wedding or something. And so I was like, forget it. You're just not going to be able to stop smoking. We're going to, uh, she had tissue expanders. I was like, we're just going to do implants on you. But then a couple weeks before surgery, I saw her and she was such a perfect candidate for deep flaps, which she desperately wanted. I had already told her no, but she just had the tissue was perfect. Everything was just perfect. And she, you know, she claimed she hadn't been smoking for months and months at that point. We did a nicotine test, and I was like, 
I mean, I had already told her no, but I was like, all right, I gave in. And um, she was perfect too. In fact, the nurses in the recovery room was like, you should use her as your example of someone who has a perfect flap because everything was so perfect after surgery. So at the end of the day, I still would say someone who smokes, no. I mean, I, you have to stop smoking for a minimum of two months. And I definitely do nicotine checks. I mean, I had a patient who was young, very young. She wanted prophylactic nipple sparing mastectomies and deep flaps and, you know, good health, everything. I mean, very young in her thirties and healthy, basically a perfect candidate. And the Friday before her Monday surgery, we did a, um, I knew that she smoked marijuana. We did a spot check and um, it was positive. And I was like, what the heck, you know, I mean, it's Friday and how could this be positive? And someone in my office actually tested herself because we we're like, is there something wrong with our you know, test script? It was negative. And so I called her and I was like, you know, this is the strangest thing, but your nicotine test came back positive. How's that even possible? And she said, well, I stopped smoking, you know, pot months ago. And I was like, well, what could it be? And she was like, well, apparently she used chewing tobacco. And, and I was like, well, when was the last time you used that? She was like, well, Thursday night. I was like, you know, that has nicotine in it. I mean, obviously. And she was like, but you said no smoking. I was like, well, no nicotine of any kind. No gum, no, like, you know, chewing tobacco, no everything. And so we unfortunately had to do implants on her, which she wasn't really that thrilled about. But I was like, we just risk it when you have a positive nicotine test like that. So... Well, how happy are patients typically? Um, oh, they're thrilled. I mean, I think that what you know, a worthwhile podcast would probably be just to talk to patients because they're just, you know, they're all shouting from the roof, rooftops about how, how it's night and day. I mean, I think it's just so, you know, I haven't gone through it myself, obviously, but I've seen enough other people go through it. I think for, um, it's a difference between hard rests that for many people have become painful um, and uh, or numb or however it is to something that basically feels normal and is soft and is warm. Um, it makes me think of another woman who she was in finance and she was sent to me by the breast surgeon for reconstruction and um she had breast cancer and i you know as i do with every patient i explained all the options including no reconstruction um every type of implant and flaps and so she wanted to get right back to work she you know opted for implants which is fine and um so she underwent her nipple sparing mastectomy i put in tissue expanders and she underwent radiation and chemo for her breast cancer when she came back and we were planning the next stage to put in her implant she said um I actually have been rethinking everything and I'm thinking I might want flaps instead. And I was like, well, that's interesting. Why, what was, what made you change your mind? And she said, well, I am in a support group with five other women and, and five of us had implants. We were all bitching about our implants. And one of us had flaps and she's doing CrossFit training and uh, I want to be her. So as a final question, and I think, you know, you've covered a lot of this, but I really want to drive on this point. What advice would you give someone who is considering natural tissue breast reconstruction as a thin patient? Well, um, there's different ways of going about it. So if you're thin, um, just because you go to one person who says you don't have enough tissue 
doesn't mean that you necessarily don't have enough tissue. How do you know if it's real or not? I guess you, you know, it's hard to know, but if you pinch this, the tissue at your lower abdomen, that's what becomes your breasts. And, um, you know, I, I think that the reason I get more tissue is I bevel a lot. In other words, whatever tissue you have, I also kind of take the tissue around it that's beyond the skin. So I have discovered that I often surprise myself because I will tell patients you're going to be a lot smaller and then they end up being bigger and it's because I bevel so much. Um, that said, um, there are other, if the abdomen really is not a good site for you, in other words, you're literally skin and you know, I've had patients where you can see their abdominal aorta going up and down because there's just nothing there. Um, there are, are other sites that you can take tissue from. For me, it's most commonly going to be the upper inner thighs. Um, and then on top of that, if the whole idea of this giant flap surgery with drains everywhere kind of freaks you out, but you really don't want your implants, another thought besides just going flat is you can also do serial fat grafting, which people don't talk a lot about. Um, it's kind of a slow burn type of situation. It's where you take out your implants and um, unlike a flap where you have a breast mound right away, with serial fat grafting that involves liposuction, um, fat grafting, the processed fat, and usually you have to undergo several rounds of that, but they're each outpatient surgeries. I actually have someone doing that right now and she is really happy that she's, she's doing that instead of a flap because even though it's kind of a long haul type of reconstruction, every, you know, every time is a outpatient. She goes back to work pretty quickly. Just an easier thing to wrap her head around. She doesn't have scars at the donor site and that sort of thing. I, I know myself when I had fat grafting, just a lot of bruising, so. Yes, that's definitely true. So a second part of this question, because our audience on this podcast is plastic surgeons, what advice do you want to give your fellow plastic surgeons about performing natural tissue breast reconstruction on thin patients? Well, I mean, I think it's really about looking at additional donor sites and being creative with where you can take tissue from. I think at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's challenging because when you are if you're not a microsurgeon, you're not going to be doing it. And if you don't specialize in in more creative types of microsurgeon, I mean, it's it's not really you you do sort of have to be a specialist to um, to do these types of procedures. But that said, I'll say the profunda artery perforator flap, the pad flap where I take it from the upper inner thighs. That sounds intimidating, but I used to teach this procedure at the Duke perforator flap course to other plastic surgeons and other microsurgeons, um, both in this country and around the world, and and would show people how to do it through cadaver dissections and whatnot. And it's not a hard flap. I mean, it is scary to do these flaps for the first time, but it's actually, it's not, it's not a very difficult flap. So I think it is going to be difficult for many surgeons if they haven't seen one in their training or ever, you know, done one to kind of take that leap. But I guess the best I can say is when I showed people how to do it, and I, you know, I had a friend who I talked through over the phone how to do it, it's, it's actually not that hard of a flap. Well, thank you, Dr. Chen. Thank you for joining me today for this um, great conversation. Thank you so much for having me.
As always, thank you for joining us and be sure to subscribe to the Plastic Surgery Practice podcast to keep up with the latest episodes. And also please check out plasticsurgerypractice.com for the latest industry news. Until next time, take care.